Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I'm grateful and honored you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. I want to let you know that I'm taking the month of July off from work, specifically creative rest, which you're going to learn a little bit more about today. I'm taking this time to be with my family and refuel before I start my internship for graduate school this fall. Don't worry, I've got several podcast episodes that are recorded and are lined up so you can still expect these Wednesday interviews in July. I want to encourage you to work rest into your week and year. None of us can lead well from a place of exhaustion. I brought on today's guest to talk to us about this very topic of rest. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith is a busy physician author, and mom who understands that life's demands can leave you feeling mentally overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and physically tired. Daily, she helps the overstressed deal with their work rest and balance and find actionable answers to the thriving lifestyle they desire. She's been featured in many media outlets, including Daystar, Redbook, MSNBC, Psychology Today, and a guest on The Dr. Oz Show. Her latest book is Sacred Rest. Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, including groundbreaking insight on the seven types of rest needed to optimize your productivity, increase your overall happiness, overcome burnout, and live your best life. Guys, I have this book and it is so good. So over 90,000 people have discovered their personal rest deficits using her free assessment at restquiz.com. I know that today's episode is going to help you find that sacred rest, so let's jump into the conversation I had with Dr. Sandra as we dive into the types of rest. Well, hello, Dr. Sandra, and welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on here today. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm trying to remember where I first found out about you. I listened to a teaching you did. It was in a membership site. I want to say, have you done a teaching for Compel before? I have not, but I did do one for Hope Writers. That's probably what I'm thinking of for Hope Writers. Okay. Yeah. And I remember listening to you. First of all, I was super encouraged by your author journey, which is what you were mainly talking about. But whenever I heard about your latest book, Sacred Rest, I thought, oh my goodness, that is exactly what I need because I just really resonated with this message. And so we're going to dive into that today. But before we do, I love to ask my guests, what is maybe something, a fun fact or a random fact about you that we would not have read in your professional bio? <laughs> Probably that I minored in dance, jazz dance, to be exact, in college. <laughs> not as not common, I guess, for someone to be pre-med as their major and dance as their minor, but I had a passion for it. That's a super fun fact. Do you still dance? I do, but obviously not anything that <laughs> that anyone would ever see. It's kind of more in the privacy of my house with my kids just for fun. Oh, that's so fun. I love that. That's just, that's a really fun thing to do. And I feel the same way. I'm like, not a good dancer at all. I've never majored <laughs> in anything like that, but there's something that just kind of comes alive when we do it. So that's really neat. Awesome. Okay, so I have a lot of questions for you, so let's jump into it. We're talking about this topic of sacred rest, and I would love for you to just start by talking about rest. It seems super simple, but then why do so many people struggle with actually doing it? 
Well, I think for many of us, we all uh, we look at rest as this, you know, this thing we'll do when we find time. So mm-hmm. when I get done with the work, then I'll rest. Or we see people that are downing rest, you know, stating that it's kind of you make you feel like it's being lazy or that you're not accomplishing as much as other people. So there's a stigma that we have that's attached to resting. You know, our society really is focused on production and getting things done and grinding or, you know, doing the work. And we have lost our respect for rest and and really the need to rest if we want to do our best work. You know, we can grind out work out of our exhaustion, which is where many of us live. But if we want to do our best work, our highest quality, our most creative, our, our most influential work, we really have to shift our focus and learn how to work from our place of rest. Yeah, I love the back of the book. It really caught my attention. It says, staying busy is easy. Staying well rested? Now there's a challenge. That's just, I, I thought that, wow, that's exactly the truth. And so, you know, one of the things that really resonated me with this message that you have is that, you know, I, I can speak personally for myself and I would get a hunch that some of the listeners might be able to relate to this, that it is sometimes we go, okay, maybe I just need a nap, you know, or maybe if I just get myself a good night's sleep, then I'll feel rested, but we still don't feel rested. So what would you say is that distinction between sleep and rest? Well, that's really the whole core of the research and the information in sacred rest is that I think many of us aren't aware that there are different types of rest. So when we're tired, we automatically think about the one type of, of rest that we're familiar with, which is the physical type of rest, where we're, you know, taking a a cat nap or a power nap and trying to get those extra hours of sleep. But really, that's just describing one type of rest, the physical type of rest. And even at that, it's only describing the passive physical rest, where in the research, we see that there's both active and passive physical rest, as well as up to seven other types of rest that are needed. And unfortunately, trying to fix one of the other six types of rest with physical rest doesn't work. You have to restore in the area of the deficit or you continue to feel depleted. Yeah. And that really resonated with me and made a lot of sense as to why, you know, I felt like, man, why am I still not feeling rested? And so uh, you mentioned that there's seven different types of rest. I thought it would be fun, especially for people who aren't familiar with your work and with your book. And I'm after this interview, I'm sure everybody's going to run out and grab your book because it's just so good. I loved how at the very back of the book, you had a rest assessment in there and you t- you know, there's literally a checklist for every different one of those seven types. But I would love it if you would just start by going through, you know, maybe you can bring up one, then we can chat about it, each of the seven types, and then some ways that we can get refueled in that area. Sure. Well, I'll go ahead and just name the seven so we have them all out there, and then we can kind of look at each one as you'd like. We talked about physical, and then the other two that most people are very familiar with are mental and spiritual. And then the four that are less lesser known are emotional, sensory, social and creative. And so with the physical, we've talked about the passive part, the napping and the sleeping. The active part of physical rest are those things that are restoring your, your lymphatics, your circulatory system and your muscular system. So it's things like leisure walks so that you improve your circulation and your legs aren't swelling from sitting all day. It's like doing stretches so that your neck and your back muscles aren't hurting 
at the end of the day of working on a computer or doing things that you're using your upper body strength. So those are some of the types of passive physical or active rather physical rest that some people aren't thinking about because just going to sleep is not going to restore your circulation and it's not going to relax those tight, tense muscles. You actually have to do something specific to, for those to be improved. Yeah, I love that reminder. And and so what are the some of the what were the other ones that you mentioned are more common? The mental rest and then the spiritual rest. So mental rest, you know, is basically allowing your head to go to that calm place. A lot of us were constantly thinking thoughts. We're kind of brainstorming without attending to. So we're we're running our to-do list through our head. We're thinking about you know, conversations that maybe we wanted to say, we wish we'd said differently. We're ruminating over thoughts throughout the day. So our mind never gets to that quiet place where it it can sort things out and process through things. It's just constantly ruminating these thoughts and running through these thoughts over and over again. And so mental rest is the ability to allow your mind to get to that quiet place. And for a lot of people that keeps them up at night. They try to lay down to go to sleep their heads running through all of these scenarios and all of these things that they're you know, wanting to make sure they don't forget the next day. And so it prevents them from getting to those deeper levels of sleep, the type of deep REM sleep that uh, deep non REM sleep that actually helps them heal. So for those people, a simple thing they may want to consider doing is making sure that they're not doing high brain activities late in the evening. So no paying bills, no you know, doing work that requires them to concentrate and really to think deep thoughts right before going to bed. And if they're ruminating over things like, don't forget to do this in the morning, or don't forget to check this off the list the next day, you actually would improve your ability to go into that deeper level of sleep by jotting that type of information down on a piece of paper or a notepad or even in a journal. If it's like an emotional thought that's keeping you from going to sleep. What happens with that is you're taking the the emphasis of retaining the information off of your mind and you're putting it on something concrete like a piece of paper. And that gives the brain permission to let that thought go. Because as long as you keep ruminating over it, the mind will hold on to that thought even at the expense of you being able to sleep well because it, it wants to hold on to information that you're telling it is important. And so it doesn't want to kind of let you down by not remembering that thought so it'll just keep you up all night and <laughs> with that thought, keeping you from going into deeper sleep. Yeah, I love that you said, uh, give their brain permission to let that thought go. That's really powerful. Do you feel like in this topic of mental, do you feel like that those of us who do a lot of computer work or, you know, reading or different things like that, that are for, you know, work type things, is that, would that be in the mental category as well? Yeah, anything that requires you to, process a thought that you're holding in your head. So I find it a lot for with even with creatives, you know, you're kind of going through your list of possibilities. And you have all of these things kind of floating around as these possible options for yourself. But if you don't write it down, then you there's this fear that well, I'm going to forget it. And so your mind will keep replaying that memory loop in an attempt to kind of solidify it in your thoughts. And unfortunately, that keeps you from being able to to let it go and to relax and actually calm down. That's a, it's the same reason why it's not very healthy in our current situation to watch excessive amounts of news, because watching that ongoing news feed, 
you know, telling you about everything bad that's going on in the world is feeding a negative mental loop. So then, you know, it's no wonder people start feeling depressed or anxious or having nightmares about things because you're you're not allowing the brain to get to a quiet place where it can recover and recoup. Yeah. Would you say that Netflix and social media scrolling fall into that area as well? Depends on what you're watching, because, you know, there are there are positives in both of those. You know, I've seen some Netflix shows that are uplifting and I've seen way more that were not. And same with social media. You know, you'll have some people that are posting just very positive, supportive posts. And then you'll have other ones that are spouting things that really you don't want to read over and over again, but they're on your your newsfeed. And so it depends on the content. You know, the thing with social media and Netflix and those types of media where you're constantly being exposed to information, if the information is something that doesn't permeate you to the point that you can't let it go, then it's just going to brush off. It's like water off a duck's back and you're going to, it's going to hit you and fall right back off. If it hits a nerve, if it speaks to something that's important to you, if it touches on an emotion that you already have or a pain point you already have, then it's a lot harder to let go. So you don't want to introduce that type of information, particularly right before going to bed or, you know, if you're already feeling very wound up mentally, that's just going to feed the fire. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I've, I've been curious about that because I feel like for me, when I look, went through your checklist, mental was actually my biggest one that I had the most checks on, and um, which isn't surprising to me just with the line of work that I do. But I've been curious about that because my husband and I, we like to watch funny things on Netflix, like, you know, comedians or, you know, dude perfect or something that just is lighthearted. And I'm not I'm not thinking. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I've wondered well, is that really giving my brain a rest because I'm watching something, you know? <laughs> Consider this. I always say the way to tell if something is restful is do you feel better than how you entered into that moment? Mm. So when when you finish those watching those shows, do you leave them feeling better in any way? And then in whatever way you feel better, that's the type of rest you received. So, for example, if you leave those opportunities with Netflix, watching the comedians feeling, you know, more lighthearted, more joyful, more happy, then you received emotional rest from them. Mm. You may not have had mental rest because you were mentally engaging with the conversation to, you know, to process the funniness in it. But you were able to receive emotional rest in that you, you left those moments feeling happier than how you went into them. Mm, that makes sense. Okay. I like that. So let's go ahead and jump then into emotional. That's another one of the categories. Yes. Emotional rest is, it has to do with our emotions, but really it has to do with being able to, to just be very authentic about those emotions and sharing how you're feeling in the moment. So you mentioned social media. You know, one of the things about social media is there's a lot of pretense that goes on with it. You know, we tend to show our better side rather than just our authenticity. And so it's important to have those people in your life or those opportunities in your life where you're able to just share your life as it is, the truth of your life. Because the problem when we're only sharing kind of the pretty moments is that we fear if people will still love us if they saw the other moments. Mm. And that's not emotionally healthy because you live under this sense of people pleasing and pretense and am I okay as is And you have to know that you have to get to a point where you feel okay as is, even if your life's not perfect and 
all the dishes aren't cleaned out the kitchen and your kids aren't doing it all right. And, you know, you're not checking off all the boxes that you still feel you're okay. Yeah. And how do you recommend we get emotional rest? Well, one of the ways is to make sure that you have those people in your life that you can share authentically with. You know, I like to use emotional and social go very close together because they both require opportunities to share with people, with those that are in your circle. I like to relate them to really how Jesus lived his life. You know, when you look at his interaction, there's a large portion of his ministry where he's work, you know, he's dealing with the masses. He's working and in front of the masses, you know, healing and helping and teaching people. And then you see that he has times when he breaks away with the 12, the disciples. And then you see those rare moments where he breaks away with the three, where he goes to the Mount of Transfiguration and he's just with the three. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is in that moment is when he reveals his full truth. He was never inauthentic. So I think it's important to realize that you don't have to be inauthentic to not be fully open with everyone. It's just there's portions of your life that you don't share with everyone openly, except for those select few people who are are at the level where you are allowing them into kind of your deepest, most secrets of who you are. And so I think it's important to have those people in your life where if you are a ministry leader and you are uplifting and supporting everybody else, that when things get rough, you can go to those one, two, three people and say, I'm struggling. And you don't feel judged and you don't feel like you're putting your ministry on risk because you're being truthful, but you know those people can handle your truth and love you through it. Mm, That's so good. And such a good reminder for all of us that we all need those people in our lives. You mentioned that emotional and social are really closely related. Can we talk about the area of social? Yes. Well, social rest is the rest we get around life-giving people. I think it's easier probably to know who is not giving you social rest. I always say you have to kind of compartmentalize people to some degree so that you're knowing who is negatively pulling on you socially and who is feeding you socially. So oftentimes those people that are negatively pulling on you are not negative people. They're actually the people you love most and that you serve in your life, but they are pulling from you emotionally or socially. And those people include your, your kids, your spouse, anyone you're serving that as a customer, if you're in business or as in ministry, Those people are requiring your social energy. They require you to be compassionate. They require you to show up and do things for them. Your elderly parents are pulling on you if they're requiring you to go help them do certain things. So these people are pulling on you socially in a negative way because they are requiring energy from you. However, you also have to have people that are pouring back into your life that are your positive life-giving friends. And, you know, the statistics and the studies show that adults have fewer friendship relationships than ever. We have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of people we are are superficially related to, to or acquainted with online or through our, you know, coworkers, but very few people that are kind of our tight-knit group, those friends that are just more tight-knit. And so that's a way of getting social rest, is making sure that you are staying connected with those people that are your life givers. And the science also shows that one of the biggest way of connection is with that eye to eye contact. 
And so, you know, in a setting like we are now where you can't physically be eye to eye, the studies showed that eye to eye contact, even virtually doing things like Zoom or Skype or what's it app where you can see someone's mannerisms, their facial expressions, you can get a sense of their presence, that there's a healing and a restoration that comes from the presence of someone who's life-giving to you. I wonder if that's why people like live video so much when you are going to engage in social media and things, because you can actually see their eyeballs. Yeah, you you see them. You get a sense of who they are from their presence, mm-hmm. how they move, how their facial expressions move, their hand movements. That's why, you know, I do speaker training. And so when I'm working with speakers, the, the when you first get started, you know, there's a bit of fear that hits where you're just like, I just want to stand still and give this talk. But that comes off very inauthentic because people don't talk like that. Mm-hmm. People talk with motion, emotion. And that includes body movements and hand movements and head nods and all of those things. And so that is a part of the energy that someone gives off. And and it's important to be able to see that there. We get a a sense of of healing that comes when we see someone else being authentic. You mentioned that studies have shown that adults have fewer close friends. We have more acquaintances. Why do you think that is? Well, I think now it's a lot of us are more career and family focused more than friend focused. Mm. So what energy we have, a large portion of it goes into building our careers and being successful. And then what's left out of that goes towards having a healthy family. And so friendships kind of get put lower down the, the list of things that I need to do or ways I need to spend my time. And I think it's important really to to find ways to be able to maintain the relationship without feeling like you're taking something away from either your career or your family. I recommend for a lot of moms who are, you know, newer and they have small kids and it's like, I don't have a babysitter. I can't just go take off with my girlfriends whenever I want to, to understand that the the social rest portion of that can be obtained through something like a virtual coffee date. A lot of mom groups, that's before this ever happened with COVID, that was one of the things I was highly recommending. You know, if you got little ones at home and they're in diapers and you don't have a way of, you know, breaking out to be able to get that connection with other women, to just pick a day every Thursday at 1030, we're going to meet for 15 minutes and have a cup of coffee together and put the kids in front of the TV for that 15 minutes or whatever, put them down for a nap, however it works, and just have some time to be with other people who understand the journey I'm currently in. And that works for corp- women in corporate settings, you know, have a have a uh, evening um, happy hour or something where you guys are going to get together and you're going to sit around and eat brownies together <laughs> or something and have a moment to just share with each other about your day so that you don't feel like you're always the one doing it with no one who understands your life. Because sometimes your family don't don't understand your life. I see this a lot with people who are creatives, authors who their family has no clue what it's like to be an author or to speak. You know, they 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 have this big idealized thoughts about what that looks like. They don't know the reality of it. And so having someone who truly understands the journey and having some time to break away with them. Yeah, I really like that you said, you know, even just planning that every Thursday for 15 minutes, you're doing this because I think about that. And I think, you know, 
a lot of us, I know I'll speak for myself here. I, I plan my physical, you know, exercise. I plan when I'm going to have quiet times, you know, but I don't plan when I'm going to do social related things and actually have eyeball to eyeball connection with other people. And that's really powerful. Uh, I know for me, if, if I don't plan it, it usually doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but I'm curious if there's, you know, how, for example, exercise, you know, experts will tell you, this is how many days you should exercise a week. And, you know, that kind of a thing. Is there any formula for things like social and different things like this, uh, as far as how often you feel like we need to be engaging with other people? No, nothing that I found specifically. It's more related to kind of a work-rest ratio. So it depends on how much you pour out in that area. For example, someone who's a school counselor and they're dealing with people's emotions and, and having to have social interactions that are difficult on a regular basis, that person's going to require more emotional and social rest because they're pouring out in that area more. Um, pastors. Require, tend to require more social and emotional rest because they're constantly pouring out in those areas. Whereas someone who, let's say, is an artist, they're pouring out in their creative aspect more. So they're needing more creative rest because they're needing to restore that area that they're pouring out consistently in. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about the area of creative. Yes. Creative rest is the rest that we that we re- obtain or feel after allowing ourselves opportunities to experience beauty, whether that's natural beauty or man-made beauty. The easiest way to describe this, if, if you're someone who just realizes when you go to the beach or around bodies of water, you feel better. You can't explain it. It doesn't appear to be logical, but you feel better being around bodies of water or being up in the mountains or being out in nature or, you know, sitting outside on your deck. You, you just feel better in those settings, allowing yourself time to just take in the surroundings. That's creative rest. It's the restoration that comes from tasting and seeing the beauty that's around you. And it can be man-made beauty because some people get that same feeling by watching ballet. Others getting get it by listening to an opera or a symphony. So it can, there's many ways it can be received. I always like to make sure people are aware it's not the same as going to a art or pottery bar where you're going to create something. That's actually creative work because you're putting a demand on your creativity. Creative rest, there are no demands. It's all receiving. You're receiving and being inspired and you're being poured into by the beauty that's around you. I can so relate to what you said about the bodies of water because that's me with the ocean. There's just something so therapeutic about the uh, the sound of the ocean and just being out there. And then for my husband, it's the mountains. He loves the mountains. I, do, I like the mountains too, but the ocean really just speaks to me. So I love that. Okay, so another area we haven't talked about yet is spiritual, which you said this is one of the more common areas, but I would still love for you to discuss this one. Yeah, spiritual rest is is allowing yourself to be rejuvenated and restored by relationship, by the a relationship with God, rather than looking at it as religion. Uh, religion has a work concept attached to it. Relationship is where you're you're receiving from that intimacy with God, and so. I oftentimes when I'm describing this to teen groups that they tend to, I find, have kind of more of a what do you mean uh, approach when I discuss this. I, I ask them, you know, if God sent you a text today, what would it need to say for you to understand that he really gets where you're at and cares? And I have them send that text themselves. And oftentimes, because there's such a kind of 
electronic generation, that's kind of how they communicate with their friends and with everyone, it starts kind of allowing them to see that's what you mean by relationship. It's this connection that you can have with someone where you share what's going on with you and they understand and there's a back and forth communication because, you know, really that's what prayer should be. It shouldn't always be our wish list going out. There should be some times when we're silent and we're having a kind of on the receiving end of that conversation as well. And I found it interesting that when I was looking at the research, the, the book does have quite a bit of research. I include stories, so it's not boring. I do have quite a bit of research in it because I am a nerd at heart. And some of the research that I found that was just astonishing was about prayer and how when they looked at the brains of people who prayed, that prayer laid down the same memory imprints as if somebody was standing in front of you having a conversation. And I think that's powerful to think about. Wow. I'm a, I'm a science nerd right there with you. So I get excited about the research <laughs> also. Yeah, that is so cool. I love that. Uh, okay. So the final area we haven't talked about yet is sensory. Let's talk about that one. Yeah, sensory rest is very ignored, I think, by many of us, but we are highly affected by it. I, I think the, the main thing to keep in mind with sensory rest is to be aware of how much sensory input we have within our day, whether it's the background noises of wherever we're working at, whether that's our home with, you know, five-year-old girls screeching in the background and laughing and playing, or if it's at our office where you're hearing, you know, copiers going off and phones ringing, the lights that are in our setting, the lights from our computer, the blue lights that we're getting from that, or the lights that are in our building, the smells, you know, depending on where you're working at, or if it's a hospital or a bakery. I mean, all of these things are sensory inputs that are coming with, into our day, and it's affecting our body. And I think what many people don't realize is how they respond to sensory overload. Because I've had quite a few patients who have told me, you know, I go to work and I feel okay. And at the end of my day, I get home and I'm just, I'm just grouchy. I'm like, I'm like, I, I turn into this person I don't want to be. I'm just so upset and so irritated and so agitated. And what I'm finding with many of them is that it's a sensory overload problem. They're needing sensory rest. So much of their day is filled with sensory inputs from taking calls on the phone, working on the computer or, or however and then they leave their office space or they leave their, their place of work and they hop in their car and they turn on, you know, the radio or something, even if it's worship music. They're turning on more noise and their body is already agitated by the level of in sensory input that they've received in their day. So when they get home, they have had no time to unwind, no time for their sensory input to go to, to drop, to go down. And so that's what sensory rest looks like, is regaining an appreciation of silence and darkness and quiet and allowing our senses to kind of get to that, that place of not always being, being used. And it, it works also with touch. I, and particularly when I'm working with women who are married and they no longer enjoy any kind of intimacy with their spouses, Oftentimes, I'm finding that these are women who are being touched all day to some degree. They either have little hands touching them all day because they're a mommy and they're picking up people all day long or they're nurses or, or you know, techs that are touching patients all day long. So if you're constantly being touched by people or having to touch other people, you need a time where you're not touched 
to allow that to kind of reset. And so I've told a lot of husbands, you know, if you want to have that relationship with your wife again, you may want to do bedtime with the with the kids and let her go take a bath for a moment to reclaim her body, to be able to have that transition and be welcoming to any further touching. Yeah, this area really spoke to me because and I'm actually curious if you find that some people are more sensitive in this area, because I am one of those people that. I, I can't work with a bunch of noise. It's like when people talk about going to Starbucks to do their writing, I can't even wrap my brain around that because I'm going, there is so much firing in there. I would be just distracted the entire time and like, everybody be quiet. I need to concentrate, you know, but I'm also the person who I write in silence in my car often, especially if I don't have my kids with me. And so I'm curious, do you find that some people are more uh, sensitive in this area or, or yeah, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Absolutely. There's, you know, you've probably heard the term HSPs or highly sensitive persons. So there there are definitely people who are more sensitive to having a sensory overload. And I always say it's kind of depends on your own personality. Introverts tend to have a, have a tendency to have more sensitivity as well because they don't like all the noise and all of the extra. So and it, it's individ- so it really is very individualized just based on your personality. There are, you know, there are some people who they love the noise and it takes a while for them to get to that point of overload. And then others are like myself. I'm, I consider myself an HSP. If I have too much noise, I'm going to shut down. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be done. Yeah. Oh, that's so me because I'm I'm very introverted. That makes a lot of sense. And even my husband is, you know, we've been married 15 years this this month and he has now seen that about me. Even for example, if we go to I'm not a big amusement park fan because I tap mm-hmm. out like really quickly. I'm like, "Okay, I have had my sensory <laughs> overload. Like I'm done, you know, I need to I would prefer so going somewhere quiet any day of the week over going somewhere where it's noisy and, you know, bustling with people and whatnot." But I have a daughter who's very extroverted and she is one of those people that she can't if it's quiet she'll make up she'll just start saying so like she just feels the need to have noise out there you know so it's just interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and it's and you're right it's very it's very individualized because you know I always tell parents kind of keep an eye on how their kids respond to stimulus you know when they're little they start screaming we're like oh they need a nap that you know that's the type of sensory overload in itself but when they're when they're teens you'll still notice that sometimes I have two teen boys and you know, they love video games and there are times I'll see their personality completely shift Mm -hmm. because they'll be playing the game and they're all good and happy and laughing. And then all of a sudden it's like the testosterone has gone through the roof, you know? And I know that that's a sensory overload response. You know, all of that agitation that's coming out is because they've really been in that game for too long that it's gotten to a point where it's overloaded them. And so I'm constantly reminding them, it's like, you probably have had enough of the game today, you know, or take a break, go outside and play basketball (laughs) or go do a couple of laps around the yard, you know, something to allow them to reset because they need a different input than the one they're getting. And you'll see that with little kids as well. You know, birthday parties. I think a lot of us have had little kids at their birthday party and they're like, wow, everything's great. And then next thing you know, they're bawling their eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) That's all they can take. And it's a sensory overload response. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true. Even as an adult, I feel like on the inside, sometimes I'm bawling my eyes out, you know, like, ah, let me out. I need out of this situation. That's so good. Uh, well, this has been so insightful. Um, you have a quiz called the rest quiz, right? You want to tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, well, the, what I found was that as when people read Sacred Rest, many of them, you know, they would get to the end and they would take the assessment and they're like, well, this was good, but I just love kind of more in and a more in-depth look at like which one of these is the one that is affecting me the most. And so that's where the um, restquiz.com concept came from. It's it's definitely more in-depth. It takes about five to 10 minutes probably to fill out the entire quiz. I always tell people, consider it your electronic doctor's appointment with me. So you get a mini assessment at the end that tells you your score in all seven types of rest. So you can quickly see, oh, this is the one that I have the the highest score in and that I need the most rest in because it's my greatest level of deficit. Or these are the areas that I'm exceeding and excelling in and I don't have to worry about as much because I'm already doing things that are keeping it restored. And I think it's easier that way that you're not, you're not looking at all seven types of rest and trying to think, wow, how do I get all seven? You can focus your attention on the ones that you really need to improve on. Yeah. Yeah. I love that quiz. I took it myself. It was very insightful. Where else can people connect with you in this online space? Well, my main website is at ichoosemybestlife.com. And that's where you can, it links to the rest quiz as well, as well as the information about all of my books and coaching and different resources that I offer. Awesome. Well, Dr. Sandra, thank you again for taking the time to come on today. Is there any final words of encouragement you'd like to leave the listeners with? Yeah, just to make sure that you're not allowing anyone to judge your rest. You're the only one who knows what's restorative to you. So whenever you're in a moment and you're feeling down or feeling depleted or feeling drained, you know, take a moment to step back to think, what exactly is causing me to feel this way? What kind of tired am I? You know, because with there being seven, if you can identify the type of fatigue you're having, you'll have greater success at restoring that area. Oh, such a good word to leave on. Well, thank you again. And I am thrilled to release this episode to the listeners. I know they are going to be encouraged just as much as I was in chatting with you today. Oh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Rachel. Did you have your mind blown about all the different types of rest? I know I did, which is exactly why I'm taking this month off from creative rest. I hope you'll take some time to catch up on old episodes and leave a review while you're at it. I'm very grateful for those. One of my favorite things to do is email my subscribers with the headline, you won. So to be on that list, all you have to do is text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway to the number 44222 right there on your cell phone. You can also join that list on my website at rachelgilbert.com. All right, friends, that's all that we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.